Well, we've been talking about faithfulness and what it looks like to stay the course, to persevere, to keep our gaze focused in the direction of the one who is out in front of us and inviting him to follow him. And to do so, as we look at these psalms, specifically Psalms 9 to 17, so we look at these psalms that invite us to faithfulness when it feels like we're not at all sure where God is taking us or where God even is. Psalms 9 to 17 all work with this question and they explore elements of faithfulness. They, they all come to the same place, arrive at the same conclusion, but they kind of explore what it looks like to arrive at that conclusion, especially in, in difficult times in our lives. And these psalms, along with the, the passages of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 that's through 7 that we're reading, really comprise the, the building blocks of, of this series of sermons where we're looking at choosing faithfulness, choosing to stay the course, choosing to persevere in our journey with Jesus. And the way that choosing faithfulness is about, as we saw, choosing gratitude and choosing trust and choosing courage and choosing truth. And this morning, as we look at Psalm 13, we're looking at how choosing faithfulness is also about choosing devotion. So let me read that psalm for us now. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. Lord, help us to sing the song that you have planted in each of our souls. A song that tells us the truth and through which you tell us the truth that you made us for yourself. And that our peace is found in relationship with you. Lord, inspire us to keep singing that song. And to sing it even in the times when it feels like there's little inspiration to sing it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're sort of at the halfway point in these psalms that comprise Psalms 9 through 17 that are all about this notion of staying faithful. And in, in some ways, all of these psalms are the same psalm, just looking at this situation from a different angle. Because the primary question that is asked in this psalm, how long, is really the question that all of those psalms are asking. And right here in the middle of this little collection of psalms, there is this kind of statement of the obvious. 
Are we going to have to keep singing this song? How long? I've sung it four times now. So how long am I going to have to sing it? And there's another four times, which we'll be looking at, that follow Psalm 13. How much longer will the distress persist that causes us to wonder, O oh God, if you even care? And it's almost as if the psalmist is asking at this point, and all of these are psalms of David, David is asking at this point, is this the only song that we have to sing because we're pretty tired of singing it? And we need you to lighten the load, God. We need you to brighten our darkness. We need you to remind us that we actually matter to you. And Psalm 13 is the invitation at this midpoint, this encouragement to basically keep singing. And Psalm 13 is kind of a reminder that this song that we're singing isn't really just one song. It's actually three songs that we sing contiguous to each other or maybe all at the same time in a different order. And in singing all three of these songs that we see in the 13th Psalm, we make space for God. That singing all three of these songs actually empowers us to open up space to remain devoted to God. The first song is how long? It's in those first two verses. It's the title of the first song that comprises these three songs in Psalm 13. And it's a song of lament, a song of grief. It's grief over our current situation and wondering out loud where God is and directly addressing God with that question. It's a song, therefore, of trust, not just of lament and grief, but of trust. Because it suggests that if we can pray that prayer, how long, O oh Lord, if we can sing that song, we're in an open relationship where we can say things to God that we might be afraid of saying. And what singing this song does is reminds us that, that God is not brittle. It reminds us that God can tolerate and in fact welcomes this expression of frustration and pain because it is an honest outpouring of our heart to God. It's the sign of a healthy relationship when we can go to the beloved and say, I don't get you right now. Can you help me to understand? I'm not sure I can endure this much longer. I'm holding on by my fingernails here. And so in that sense, it's a song of grief. But more importantly, it's a song of fatigue with the grief. But we need to sing it. And what Psalm 13 reminds us of is that God actually invites us to sing it. So that first song is, how long, O Lord? The second song is, is another H, help. Help with a big exclamation point right after it. It's a song of, of supplication in verses 3 and 4. And let me just reread those for us now. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death and my enemy will say I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. It's a song 
a supplication. It's a request for help, but it's also a song of desperation because the situation is desperate and it feels like to the psalmist that, that his life is resting in the balance. It feels like he's going to die. And he says to God, and if I die, how does that benefit you? How does my enemies rejoicing over me in any way glorify you, O God? In another psalm, the, the question is asked, do the shades of death rise up to praise you? And so that help, that song of desperation, is essentially the appeal that God might do something. It's a song of, of supplication. I need to see some reason. God, to persevere, can you please give me some clue that you're there, that you care, and that you're doing something? The first song is how long. The second song is help. The third song is a song of hope. The third song, in some ways, grows out of the first two. Because the first two songs are sung to God and in some ways, the third song in verses 5 and 6 is the song that we sing to ourselves, the song that we sing to remind us of the truth. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In some ways, I suppose that you can say that the, the first two songs, that the function that they actually make inside our bodies and maybe even within our brains is that they open up space in us for the ability to sing the third song of hope. That by crying out how long, by crying out help, by focusing our attention on that relationship with God, we begin to get the space and the energy to see the picture bigger, to let in more light. It opens space in us. It gives us energy to sing that third song of hope and to remind us of the, the lyrics of that song of hope and encourage us to hold on to that hope. This song of hope unites past and future in our desperate present. Our current experience of a difficulty that seems to be beyond our control and our fear and anxiety over whether or not that will ever change as we look into the future. It's a great example of that quote that I used early in this series, Gabriel Marcel, the, the French theologian, who said that hope is the memory of the future. How it puts together past and future in a desperate present. And just to say a little bit about structure of Hebrew poetry, this is Bible nerdiness again uh, for you, but Hebrew poetry is not basically rhyme. Hebrew poetry is based on two other tools and more than that actually, but, but two tools that we see quite often. One is called parallelism, where you see a, an idea repeated and just said in a different way. It's, it's to, to kind of emphasize or underscore some fact about God or some fact about our situation. Another tool that's used is a rhetorical tool called chiasmus, where essentially it's concepts that are repeated in, in reverse order. It's that repetition, just like parallelism, but you repeat it in, in reverse order. So 
uh, chiasmus is from the Greek letter chi, which is an X, okay? And so you, you have it like this, and, I, and you know, this is where I need an overhead projector if I'm going to get this nerdy. But, um, but essentially, this is the way that goes, is I trusted in your steadfast love. That's the first statement. The second statement, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That's the A, I trusted. My heart shall is the B. So it's past, I have trusted, I will rejoice. And then we repeat the B again here. See, I'm making an X. Okay. I will sing to the Lord, future, because he has dealt bountifully with me past. So we, we think about the past. I trusted in your steadfast love. I know I'm going to rejoice in the future. I will sing in the future, Lord, to you because you have dealt bountifully with me. Those concepts repeated in reverse order just to remind us that, that God is with us in the, in the past and promises to be with us in the future. And therefore, as we put those two promises together, we experience a kind of peace in the present. And saying both of those things, both forwards and backwards, gives us the opportunity to chew on those ideas and to explore those truths. And it opens up space in us. So singing these three songs, singing these three verses of Psalm 13, if you will, does something to us. It teaches us. It gives us strength to maintain faithfulness. It opens up space in our darkness for the light of God. One of the things my family did when I was growing up is uh, we would go each year to the San Bernardino Civic Light Opera. So these experiences of going to see these musicals performed was a part of my kind of formative years. And uh, the lyrics, you know, the lyrics you hear as a kid and the songs that you sing as a kid stick with you. They're imprinted on you. And, you know, whenever you wet a text with, with a tune, it's there. And it stays there, especially when you learn it as a kid. Advertisers know this very well, by the way. But it's, your brain does something when you wed a text with music. And I re still remember, the, the, I think one of the first songs in the play, The King and I, is where Anna and her son Lewis are just about ready to get off the boat in Siam. And Lewis is afraid. And so she sings a song about whistling a happy tune. And I don't know whether we could sing this together now, I won't try, but uh, you, you, might, you might hear it. But, but let me just read those lyrics for a second. Whenever I feel afraid, I hold my head erect and whistle a happy tune so no one will suspect that I'm afraid. While shivering in my shoes, I strike a careless pose and whistle a happy tune and no one ever knows that I'm afraid. The result of this deception is very strange to tell, for when I fool the people I fear, I fool myself as well. I whistle a happy tune, and every single time the happiness in the tune convinces me that I'm not afraid. Make believe you are brave, 
and the trick will take you far. You may be as brave as you make believe you are. Well, in some ways, this is nothing more than sort of positive thinking language. But the way I want to reclaim it for our purposes today is that Anna sings this song to her son, who's afraid at this scary and unknown prospects of being in Thailand. And when she says the result of this deception is where I want to take issue with Rodgers and Hammerstein on this one, because I don't think it's a deception. It's not a deception. It's actually doing something that is a discipline that opens up space in us to believe that there's something bigger than our fear that's also at play in any moment in our life. It opens up space in our brains for something bigger than the fear and the despair that anxiety tells us lies to us in the moment that that's all there is. Faithfulness is the devotion that enables us, if you will, to whistle in the dark. To choose to whistle in the dark, to open us to that work of slowing down and stepping back from anxiety and to scan the horizon for that pin prick of light on the horizon and then begin to move toward it. And this kind of devotion is not merely an affection. This kind of devotion is not merely just an exercise in positive thinking. It is indeed a discipline. It's a choice, true enough, something what we must will and that we bring to it. But it opens us up to see something far bigger than we're allowing ourselves to see if we're living only in anxiety. And that's what we do each Sunday when we gather in this place. We commit to the work of opening to a reality that the weak may have driven out. It's why we gather. We gather here and in so doing, we choose every single week, if you will, to whistle in the dark. And by so doing, to allow steadfast love, the love of God from which nothing can separate us, to allow that steadfast love to displace our fear. Let's pray. Lord, tune our hearts to sing your praise and open up space in our souls, open up space in our minds to behold a bigger truth. Work with us in the face of anxiety to root us and ground us in your love and so remind us that there is something bigger than an invitation to anxiety that we are living. Open our eyes to the light that might initially appear only as that pin prick of light on the horizon and allow us by your spirit to let that light in and to watch it get bigger as we walk toward it. For all of this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.